Saturday, 16 May 2020. That's this Saturday if you're listening to the episode as it comes out. We're going to be hosting the Warfort Dual Cup number three, entitled Going the Social Distance. It will be a charity event and giveaway to benefit the Florence Nightingale Foundation, a great cause if I do say so myself. We're going to be taking donations all week long and giving it all straight to the charity. We'll be giving away a bunch of Steam keys and some In The Keep merch and everything on the stream. So be sure to tune in. It's going to be fucking awesome. I really can't wait. So again, that's this Saturday, 16 May 2020, 1300 EDT, 1700 UTC, 1900 CEST. Full details over at inthekeep.com. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherload. This show is all about the world of first-person shooters, their legacies, their lineage, and the people who keep that world turning. It is the will of the drowned god, Cathala, that our communities band together to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Here we are, episode 50 two of in the keep podcast and we have moleki throw on the show this week it's really been an honor getting to know him uh as in just knowing that he's a fan of our podcast makes me really proud because like he's uh just one of those unsung heroes that i feel like more people needed to you know know about what he does and why he does it so he's a video game translator which is an interesting niche that we're going to really dig into here, but I just, you know, I could give you the whole speech on the Tower of Babylon and everything, but the point is that uh, this is a really cool guy who does a lot of really important stuff. He has localized so many amazing games like Diabotical, um, Warsaw, Xenotic, Serious Sam, the list goes on and you can hear him really get into it, but, uh, you know, localizing that stuff into Brazilian Portuguese and getting like his unique perspective from the part of the world that he's from and the path that he chose in life. And this is something he's passionate about. It's not just a job to him. This is really his, like his profession and he takes it very seriously. And I absolutely adored every moment that uh, we've gotten to spend together to get you guys this, uh, this interview. So please devote your ears and attention First, to this awesome track by the great and powerful Igrak Simon. Go check him out. I'll be leaving a link in the show notes for you. And pretty soon we'll be in the keep with Lucky Tarao. I am Jean Trindade Pereira. I am a video game translator, I, and I'm also 23 years old. I've been uh, in this field for five years now, 2.5 years as a voluntary and 2.5 years as a professional. And I have started this journey uh, by translating Arena FPS games, and now I am currently uh, translating uh, indie games, and one day I, you know, my my goal in life is to uh, work on the AAA industry and localize AAA games. But I know that I'm gonna get there someday. Okay, let's kind of we'll, we'll get we'll work our way up to that point. But I'd like to kind of take a different approach because this is not the first time we've recorded together, and let's learn from our past mistakes or you know whatever you want to call it, and try to dig into this in a more uh, dynamic way. So mm-hmm. I actually first want to start off with uh, what was your childhood like and how did English first kind of get introduced into your life? Well, uh, I have been interested in the language since I was six years old, basically. But I think, well, I think a, a little bit before that, like when I was five or something, because that's when I started playing games and I just got so interested in English and um, at you know at school it was like one subject that I was really good at 
like if there was one thing that I was good at when I was a kid and a teen was a uh, was English. And you know, uh, back then we didn't have games localized into Brazilian Portuguese uh, at the time. Oh yeah, I also forgot to say that I was Brazilian. Um, <laughs> and so we basically had to figure things out on our own. We would have, you know, uh, dictionaries and stuff. We would look it up to understand what we had to do uh, to play the games back then. And so this was uh, one thing that we, one of our um, learning methodologies at the time. You know, we, we weren't just learning at school. We were also learning by ourselves, uh, playing games and watching uh, movies and, and stuff with subtitles. You know, you just you just learn naturally. You know, you don't even think yeah. about it. You just do. And so I don't know exactly why the the language was so interesting to me. It just it just clicked. You know, that's that's what I love. I've been, you know, um, in this in this world of of you know this foreign language and translation for years now. And so that's that's basically who I am as a person. Not all, not just a gamer, but something who someone who really loves languages. Yeah, I, I kind of shared that passion, and I, it more fell into my life than you. You like where you kind of got it from an early point. Where for me, it came later on in life. But I think of you know I can't go too many podcasts without talking about pro wrestling. But this this guy, uh, Kevin Steen. He's more popular by the name Kevin Owens because uh, that's his ring name in the WWE. But he mm-hmm. he was uh, from Quebec and grew up speaking exclusively French and learned to speak English. You mentioned kind of watching English stuff and subtitles and everything. He was watching wrestling, uh, which was primarily syndicated in English and would learn words by listening to the commentators describe, you know, the movements going on in the ring. Like he'd see guys doing a slam or an elbow lock and he'd learn the word elbow, like, Oh, elbow lock. Okay. And then slowly, but surely he became like a fluent English speaker from just watching that. So it's really interesting to me how, when you're very young, you can absorb not just languages, but knowledge in general, uh, much much more through like osmosis, I think is the word I'm looking for. And you can really adaptively learn as opposed to like trying to learn something. If you get what I'm trying to put together here. I totally get what you're saying. Um, I mean, when we're, when we're kids, we're basically a sponge. And so we absorb so much because, you know, we're always curious about everything. And so it's just so much easier to learn stuff. And you don't even think about it. You don't even realize that you're learning. And this happens with us as adults too. But as a kid, I don't know, man. It's just like we observe so much. You know, if you start learning something as a kid, by the time you're an adult, you're just an expert at it. So it's it's really interesting to me. Yeah. I, it's really amazing to me when I, when I do meet an adult who still kind of has that sponginess to their, their mind. Like they, they're not set in their ways or corrupted by, uh, you know, the mod- the constraints of what they think is their path or whatever. And when you can really just be open to an experience. And I think that's what kids have over us is that they can just uh, freely explore an idea or see something without having any uh, preconceived notions blocking them from doing it. Uh, so for you, journeying into English was kind of part of your education. And then as you come to adulthood, or like later teenage years anyway, you you told me about your Serious Sam project and how you kind of just got into that. Can you tell us a little bit um, about that for the audience? Yeah. Uh, so basically... Um... You know, when I started out, uh, I think it's going to be better if I if I uh, talk about my story when I started. Uh, yeah, please, please, with, please, with video game localization because Serious Sim came after that. Okay, it, it was actually in 2016. But so it it, it goes like this: um, back in January 2015, I was browsing the uh, the Warsaw forums. Uh, at the time, I was really I was really interested in Arena FPS, and I'm still am. Um, 
And so there was this topic called help us translate the game or something like that. And uh, at the time, I, I really wanted to help the gaming community in some way. Um, but I didn't know how to create mods and maps and stuff. And so I thought, oh, you know, this can be an opportunity for me to help uh, the developers and maybe get some more people to play the game and, and stuff. But um, note, I didn't know anything about translation five years ago. Like, I had never translated a game in my life. I've never done this before at, uh, at the time. So, but I wanted to give it a try still. And so I went there, you know, I, I applied to the project. Uh, Brazilian Portuguese wasn't, wasn't listed uh, in, the, in the project languages. And so I asked them to do it, and they did. And so when I got in the project, you know, we had to create an, an account on, this, uh, on the website. I think it was OneSky, the name of the website. Mm-hmm. And, once you, and once you do that, you know, um, they give you access to the project, and you, know, and you see the strings. Um, every game, every string uh, of the game were so. Uh, basically, it was separated by uh, categories. So you, uh, files, I mean. So you had, you know, the 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 UI file, which had the UI strings. You had the uh, the achievement strings as well. And so you get there, and the left column is the English text, and the right column is where you insert your translation. Mm-hmm. And you know, by the time, like I said, I didn't know anything, so I'm just, I'm just going to translate them. I'm just going to write all this stuff in Portuguese. And so I did. Obviously, it wasn't professional back then. It was it, it was enough to get the job done. You know, the experience that I had with English and uh, with Portuguese as well. I mean, I knew how to write uh, particularly well in Portuguese back then. Now I just, you know, I, I am really serious about this stuff. And so, you know, the game didn't have a lot of strings to translate. Um and uh, it was basically a small game localization-wise. And so I, I could finish the whole thing in a day. And, and then the next day, uh, out of common sense, I decided to review what I had translated. And, you know, I didn't know that this was a, a, one of the quality control processes in translation and localization. I just, I just, I just thought, you know, I'm going to... I'm going to review my own work. You know, I, I want this to be good. It was just common sense at the time. It was just so natural to me. And so I did. I know, and the next day I went there, reviewed everything, made some changes, you know, uh, based on mistakes and something could sound, if something could, could have sound better, I went, I would go there and change it. And so, yeah, I mean, and then there was a, a game update. Uh, for the game where they added, you know, all of the languages uh, that were basically done, you know. And so because of that, I could test the game with my translation, you know, fully localized into Brazilian Portuguese. And and I remember the feeling of like, you know, seeing the game in Brazilian Portuguese was very exciting for me. I was like, oh my God, I did all of this. Now, you know, more people will be able to play the game. You know, we're not going to have this language barrier anymore because um, unfortunately here in Brazil, our you know, the English proficiency level uh, in the population is really low. So basically most people don't know uh, how to speak or write fluently in English. You know, it's a language that a lot of people struggle with. You know, with gamers, it's it's easier, I mean, to find people who can speak or write something in English. But, you know, it's, it's still a problem. It's not like everyone can speak the language. It's not our second language either. We only have one main language, which is Brazilian Portuguese. And so when you, when you translate a game or a product into a, uh, our native language, or any other language for that matter, you're removing that barrier. Like th- that person who doesn't understand English won't have to learn a new language in order to enjoy something, be it a game or a book or a TV series or a movie or even anime. So, you know, uh, having that feeling that you were responsible for making that happen is so satisfying. And, and, and that's what I felt, you know, when I did that. And, it felt so good and I was like really in love with translation. And so I decided to study more 
about it, you know, just dig deep into this world of localization. And um, I wanted to do this again. And so I went to the Zonautic forums. I also like Zonautic a lot. Um, you know, this arena FPS that is very uh, innovative when it comes to weapons. I mean, it has very different weapons, a weapon set uh, compared to other arena FPS games. So that's the main reason I liked it so much. Even though there weren't a lot of people playing, uh, a lot of uh, Brazilian people playing the game. But still, you know, I went uh, to the official Zonotic forums and I found basically the same topic there. You know, they were asking if people wanted to help them out translating the game into other languages. And so I applied to that too. And, um, but this, the, this time was a little bit harder um, and more time consuming because the game had a lot of text. I mean, more than 8,000 words. And so I couldn't do all of that in a day. I mean, it took me more time. I don't remember how how much time it took, honestly, you know, since it was like five years ago. But I did, you know, little by little, I translated everything. And so it, it started It started with, you know, uh, Warsaw and Zonotic. And so I finished that, you know, I tested the game and everything. It's It's fully localized into Brazilian Portuguese today. I mean, the game version was like 0.6 or 0.7 back then. Now it's 0.8.2, if I'm not mistaken, as of the time of this recording. And so, and then, you know, I wanted to uh, make my own translations. You know, these two translations were official ones. Like, you translate the game and they are added officially into the game as updates. But I, I wanted to translate games that... I didn't have that opportunity. Like I would have to uh, do it by myself. Ba- I'm basically talking about unofficial translations or fan translations for that matter. I wanted to do those. And so this is where we get to uh, Serious Sam. Because um, in 2016, I mean, I was really interested in Serious Sam. You know, uh, basically my first Serious Sam game was Serious Sam 3. So I, I would. I was pretty late at the party um, because Serious Sam's, uh, the first one came out in 2001, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Serious mm-hmm. Sam, the first encounter. Um, and so my first was Serious Sam 3 when it came out in 2011 for PC. And um, But still, you know, after I played Serious Sam 3 and fell in love with it, I was like, oh, I'm going to play every fucking Serious Sam game now. And so I did. And... And unfortunately, none of them are localized into our language, uh, at least officially. Um, there were like three Serious Sam games that were fan translated in a website, uh, in a very famous website here called Game Vicio. And so uh, it's a website where it's basically a gaming news website, but there's also a section there where people could uh, submit their own translations of games and stuff which was really interesting. And it was a voluntary section. You know, people did that for free and still do. I mean, in other websites, Game Vicious stopped doing that in 2012. But I can get to that later. So basically, there were there were uh, translations for Serious Sam, the first encounter, the second encounter, and also Serious Sam 2. Unfortunately, I didn't have a, a good experience with those translations. I mean, they weren't very, I mean, good for me. There were a lot of weird sounding stuff here and there, a lot of mis- mistranslations. It was just the quality was very questionable, questionable. And so I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to uh, basically make my own translations for those games. But before I did that, I, I you know, there was Serious Sam HD, the first encounter, and HD, the second encounter, which were uh, the, the remastered slash remakes. Uh, of the first games, of the first two games, released in 2009 and 2010. And there weren't any translations for those games. And so, and not even for Serious Sam 3. And so I, I decided, oh, you know, I'm going to translate the Serious Sam HD games and Serious Sam 3, since there are no translations for it. And maybe, you know, way down the line, I'm going to translate the classic versions too, from 2001 and 2002. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. Um, and people, um, I, I think it had a very good reception. I mean, all of them had a very good reception from the community because as soon as I was done translating uh, 
the last three games, you know, Series MHDs and Series M3, you know, people were, you know, thanking me and congratulating me and say, oh, you know, now I can play this game and, you know, understanding everything when before I couldn't understand a thing. And so I realized the 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 importance and the, of of localizing a game, you know, because now people can enjoy it in a way that they couldn't before. And so I, I, it made it made me feel good and, and useful to the world, you know, making a difference in people's lives. And so I just I, I, I was like, oh, I'm gonna keep doing this. I don't know for how long, but I will. Even though I was doing that for free, I had a lot of free time back then. I mean, well, like four years ago or something. <laughs> it's not really that, you know. So, so after those three translations, I was, I was like, you know, I'm going to translate the classic now, the classic versions now. Uh, the first encounter, the second encounter, and Serious Sam 2. Serious Sam 2, I think it was the last Serious Sam game I've translated. Oh, yeah, it was the last. And, and so I did those two, and people liked it as well. And this is when I was, you know, fan translating stuff. I also did a fan translation for a game called Heroes of Hammerwatch, mm-hmm. which is um, which is from the same creators of Hammerwatch, and um, well, it is unfortunately it is really outdated today. You know, um, back then it didn't it, it didn't it didn't have the the uh, most of the content that the game has today. You know, the game is still getting updated to this day. And so, and they're still adding more content in DLC, and but but I've stopped I, I have stopped working on that translation. You know, I have stopped updating it because I was interested. I got interested in other stuff, uh, you know, playing other games and in other translation projects. But um, I have checked the community to see if if people were, you know, updating my translation or doing their own, and they're basically doing their own now. So. But I think it started with my work. Um, uh, other th- another thing that I was really interested uh, was uh, translating mods. I remember that I have translated mods back then for uh, Skyrim, Fallout New Vegas, and also Fallout 4. You know, very, very basic stuff. Not like, you know, those DLC-sized story mods and stuff, you know, very large ones it was just something like you know unofficial patches and you know uh, quality of life changes uh, made to those games and i found those mods to be really useful so you know my goal was basically translate stuff that would be useful to the player and not something of a big scale i'm noticing like a trend here where you you kind of started off with the arena shooters which have essentially no dialogue it's you know you're talking about menu items and uh, just directions simple things and then over time you work your way into serious sam which is not a dialogue driven game but has like you know the cutscenes and different parts where you're going to have to actually translate some speaking and then now you're talking about doing mods for games like you know fallout and these more uh, narrative-driven games that require you to like get a little bit deeper into the language. Like you know, you're, you're going to be talking with idioms and metaphor, and you know, actual people speaking in a colloquial way. So I am curious, like, what was the transition like for you? And did did you kind of taper it on purpose like that, where you're like, I want to wait until I'm ready to do things uh, that are a little more difficult, or did you just kind of fall into that naturally? Well, w- when it comes to Fallout and uh, Skyrim, I-, I didn't translate any um, mods that would require me to um, to deal with dialogues. Oh, so you oh. cheated. Yeah, I mean, no, it was pr- pretty basic stuff. I mean, um, quality of life changes, and but, but no dialogue whatsoever. Okay. So uh, I didn't deal with that when I translated mods, but um, there was also this other game that I've translated um called Pharaonic. This was this was back in 2016 and, and it was a game made by the same creators of Ziggurats mm-hmm. which is a fucking awesome game by the way you should check it out. It's First a rogue person roguelite game. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I was one of the translators for Ziggurat too. Um but basically you know Pharaonic had dialogues 
it had a shit ton of text. It took me a long time to translate that game. And um, and it was a challenge, uh, something that I, I had never done before uh, by then. So, so yeah, I mean, you, you basically have to adapt speeches and, and to make it sound natural in your language. And that's really different from translating technical stuff like menus, UIs and stuff, and, and item names. You When you translate uh, dialogues, you have to be a little more creative and, and not make anything sound strange in your language. So basically, this is, this is what, when I can, uh, um, I can explain now what localization is and why it's so, it's so important in today's world of adaptation. Basically, when you're localizing a game, or anything for that matter, you're, trans- you're basically translating that content in order to, um, to make it fit in, in, in a region, in a, in a specific region. You know, in, in, my, in, in my case, I'm translating from English into Brazilian Portuguese. So I'm basically adapting a game's uh, text in order to uh, feel as if that game was made in my country. And in order to do that, you have to uh, look at the English text, analyze the whole context, and then you try to think, oh, how would this sound if, if it was a Brazilian person talking? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I wish I could give you examples, but since it's another language, it's very hard to do that because I know that a lot of people wouldn't understand. Well, no, but you can, you can say, you could like verbatim translate it, you know, like if you were to say exactly word by word into English, something from Portuguese, it would sound sometimes kind of like, what, why did he say that? And, or what, that doesn't even make sense. But if you say it maybe a slightly different way or, you know, with it, I think we, the last time we spoke, we talked about how pronouns can be a challenge as well. You can actually yeah. get you can get into these situations where it's not a direct translation, but it is uh, conveying the same spirit or idea while and getting the idea across while uh, making it feel as if it were being spoken in its native language. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's basically the whole the whole objective. I mean, you, you basically adapt in order to sound natural. And when you translate something, you analyze the whole context, you, you are translating the idea, the meaning behind that context. So even if you're translating, for example, I'm going to go back to uh, uh, UI stuff, basically, before we, before we go back to dialogue. Mm-hmm. When you're going to translate you know, an option or something that is just says, for example, fight. So there's the string, and it's all, and all it says, it's just fight. You don't know if that it's a verb, if it's a verb, or if it's a noun, or how how you should conjugate that verb, if it's an imperative verb, or if it's um, an infinitive one. You don't know where it's where it's being used. If it's um, if it's just for one person, if you're saying that to one person, or if you're saying that to two or more people. Because all of those different situations, you would have to translate differently depending on the context. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really important you, for you to know that. You can't just you know, translate stuff directly. Oh, this word means that. And that's all there is to it. But no, you have to know everything. The more information you have about what you're translating, the better it will be. And even more uh, accurate, sometimes... When you don't have enough context, you end up translating things wrong, not because of your fault, but, you know, in the professional world, you can uh, ask questions uh, to, the, to the developers and hopefully they will answer and give you the context that you need. We can talk about that later if you want. But um, when you're translating games voluntarily, well, you, you have access to the games. And if you're a fan, you know where everything shows up, where every text shows up, you know. And, and even if you still have questions, you can, you know, talk to the developers quite easily. I mean, they're easily accessible. You can just go to Discord and find them there or, you know, the forums and stuff, and they will gladly answer your questions. I mean, this is what I love about this world of arena 
first-person shooters and also modding in general. I mean, people are so, you know, they just want to help. They just want to help out and, and create this this uh, this community where people, you know, create new experiences and help each other. You know, it's a really friendly community. So it's in in our case, you know, for people who fan translate stuff, it's really easy to do that. You said there were some names that when you translate them into English, they don't sound right. Or when you translate them from English to Portuguese or from Japanese to Portuguese. Most of the time, we don't, we don't mess with the names unless they sound, you know, like a curse word or something. So we basically have to adapt the name in order to not sound like that. You know, it happened a few times um, when I localized uh, video games. There was this this one project that there was this character and his name was Hola. And um, that's basically a funny way of saying dick in Portuguese. And so um, uh, our, our translation team had to change that. And so we did. We changed the... Uh, the O to I, so it was Hilu, uh, and the last A to an O as well. So it, uh, it became Hilu instead of Hola. So it didn't sound like that. Uh, but there are also, you know, other examples from TV series like Star Wars. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, movies like Star Wars. Oh uh, yeah. You know, which which has this um, character named Doku. And it, they adapted a name to uh, Dokan because Doku means something like I do anal in Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there, there's this also uh, this other example of an anime, a uh, really, really famous one called Inuyasha. And there's this character called Kagome, and uh, which they, um, they change it. They, they drop the K out. So it's just Agome. And the reason was that Kagome sounds something like I shat myself in Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> Which was really pr- pretty funny. Uh, and, you know, since the, the original name didn't have this, uh, it wasn't meant to sound like that in our language, you know, uh, they, they changed it so it wouldn't. And so th- these are just few examples of how you have to adapt names when it's necessary but there are also some historical names which i can't i can't think of an example right now but there are some historical names that we have different translations for them even though they are names you know they have uh, their own equivalents in our language as well so it's not like oh you know it's a proper name you should just like never translate it uh, every case is a different case you know, we have to analyze the context and everything uh, to see if uh, an adaptation would be desirable. So, so yeah, I just wanted to make this clear for, you know, a lot of people who thinks that, that we should never touch names. We do touch them when it's necessary. Before we go any further into the linguistic stuff, I do want to take a moment to kind of like get into your gaming background a little more. So you mentioned several times and you've shown it through your work that, you know, you're an enthusiast of arena shooters and everything, but like, how did you kind of fall into the arena shooter scene as, as a young person? I think it was back in 2013 when I was, um, I was still uh, in high school at the time. And, um, and at you know at the time I really liked to play you know uh, modern first person shooters like Call of Duty. I was really mm-hmm. interested in those, but um, and Far Cry as well. But when I and I don't remember when that happened, but when I watched a, a video of Quake Three or it was Quake Live, I don't remember which one. And I was like, man, these games are so fast. You know, I didn't know Quake was that fast. And but and then I got interested in it. And so I, you know, at the time, Quake Live, and and the first arena shooter that I really started to dig into was Quake Live. And Quake Live at the time was still a browser game. So you you needed to create an account and go to open your uh, internet browser to play the game. And I thought that was really strange. I was like, what the fuck? Why am I not, why is this game not available on Steam? You know, it wasn't, but but they added, you know, like in, I don't know, maybe 
I don't know when that happened, like 2014, 2015. I don't remember when the game released on Steam, but anyway. And so when I and I saw, you know, how the game was really fast and, you know, had to make this uh, decisions on the fly and that it required a lot of strategy as well. It's not just, you know, grab the rocket launcher and shoot the enemy until until he dies. You know, it's it's it was very fast paced. It still is. I just got so hooked in, in that in that level of action. And and it was just so much fun. I was like, oh my fucking god! You know, this is better than than the shooters that I'm playing right now. And so, you know, when I when I got interested in arena shooter, I was like, you know, when I when I when I see a Call of Duty in front of me, I was like, I I don't want to play this anymore. It just now my now I have high standards for uh, FPS gameplay, uh, multiplayer FPS gameplay. So. Um, I mo- most of the time I just play arena shooters, uh, and there and there are some Brazilian people here that play these kinds of games, and so I started with Quake Live, and then I and then I just wanted to play more of them, you know. So I played Quake Three, uh, Quake World using the Easy Quake engine, you know, the Easy Quake Surf Sport. Um, what else? Played uh, Quake Champions. Well, I played a lot of Quake Champions. And um, I played a little bit of Unreal Tournament as well, you know, Unreal Tournament 4, mm-hmm. which unfortunately it stopped development. You know, that's a really sad thing because of Fortnite. Uh, what else? Well, basically every arena shooter that you can think of. Warsaw was one of them, Zonotic, even Master Arena, and also Diabotical, you know, the recently, which is in beta state right now. And, and Diabotical and Master Arena were uh, two other games that I, I translated. And I'm still working on them uh, uh, as well because, you know, since they're, since they're not finished, you know, they, keep, they still keep adding more strings to these games. And, right. and then, you know, when that happens, I, I go there and update the, localization, uh, the translations and stuff, the project. And so these were two uh, our two other arena shooters that I'm that I'm working on their localization. So what what's the? Uh, I can imagine there's a bit of a challenge to Master Arena because like I I've spoken uh, back and forth a lot with Jeremy and he doesn't speak English. You know, like he speaks French, and then like a lot of the back and forth I have, I can tell he's like, you know, using Google Translate to translate things from French into English to give to me. And that's very, you know, very plain to see. I can pick up on that pretty quickly. In fact, I did a an article with him for Quake fans a long time ago where I had to kind of like translate a lot of his French into an English that made some kind of, you know, sense while preserving the spirit of what he was trying to say about his game. So I can imagine to some extent, not not necessarily the game translation itself, but the communication perhaps might be a bit of a challenge for that game. It, it was uh, <laughs> what, what you said about Jeremy. You know, it, it is totally correct. Although I, I really understand um, his his situation and stuff. It's just not a language that he's very you know yeah, experienced yeah. with, and it's totally understandable. But um, well, in when I was translating that game from English into Portuguese. I mean, there were some mistakes here and there in, in the English language. And so I've, I have decided to help with that as well. I said, hey, man, you know, I can review, you know, the whole English language of the game if you want to. And I can do that, too. And so he allowed me to do that. He's really friendly. I mean, you just talk to him and, hey, you ask him something, he's going to do it for you. Oh, and, yeah. so, uh, and so I did that. And and I think that you know there's also this woman that is uh um I think it's his girlfriend I'm not sure that is basically in charge of the localization of the whole game so she's you know she um she organizes these uh, spreadsheets for us where we can translate the the strings and stuff uh and so I think she was the one that uh reviewed everything first in english and then i did the second review but i could be wrong on that i know that she translated uh, i think her name is virginie if i'm not mistaken and she translated the game into spanish as well and i can see that because um 
in the project, you can see the names of people who are working on uh, each language and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so my name is there for Brazilian Portuguese. And so, yeah, that's basically it. Master Arena is a really interesting example because it's one of those games that it has such an obvious niche and marketability that I just I can't wait for them to, or hopefully tap into because I mean, we're getting all these, you know, kind of quake like first person shooters between war fork. And I mean, diabolicals, the big example with the VQ three movement and everything. And I feel like master arena is right there, just like right on the precipice for those unreal fans who were just lost with Epic abandoning that project for them. And I was really hoping and I still do hope that Master Arena kind of collects on some of those uh, potential players that are looking for that style of gameplay. Yeah, I mean, well, in my case, I never really got into a real tournament's movement mechanics. And I know right. why a lot of people like them. Um, and, I, and I can see that Master Arena is going in that direction. Uh, but, you know, they are doing some things differently. For one, for, for one you know, I've... I've seen that you can bunny hop in Master Arena, you know, not not like in Quake where you have to, you know, use the strafe keys right. to change directions in midair. You just basically jump, you know, and keep your speed and keep your momentum. Right. And you and you can also like keep, you know, jumping off of walls without even touching the floor. And that's something I was really interested in, you know, when I when I when I first saw this game, you know, watching the seeing the movement mechanics, I was like, man, this this is like even more like UT. This is this is beyond UT's movement. I mean, they are right. really trying to update it and make it something unique because this is something that Arena uh, FPS needs today. It needs to innovate. You can't just you know remake Quake Three and Unreal Tournament countless times and hope it it's it's a success. You know, so games like Master Arena. You know, I'm I'm really looking forward to um, seeing this game and the developers succeed and you know sell lots of copies and stuff and and get a, a bigger audience than the other uh, arena fps games that we've been getting uh these recent years you know like um like uh, reflex arena for example which is another one yeah reflex is an interesting interesting case <laughs> yeah but uh, but uh, but i understand what you're saying i mean I, I think they are going in the right direction with that. I just wish, yeah. you know, the game was was a little bit more uh, spread out. You know, people, more people would know about Master Arena. They're, uh, they've been taking it slow with the development, but they've just had, I think, their first tournament in quite a long time. And from what I understand, it was quite a success. And hopefully if they can keep that going, you know, that's what really gets these games out into the limelight if especially if you don't have an advertising budget is uh tournaments you know like events you got to see competition in a competitive game or else it's not really a competitive game so i i think they're to a point now where they can start to really uh, capitalize on that and show it off a bit more and hopefully as that happens they'll they'll garner that audience they're looking for oh that's great yeah. that's great i mean i'm i'm all for that so you you garnered this love for arena first person shooters you've, you've already at this point you've translated zoonotic and warsaw and serious sam one two or first encounter second encounter three and then two and a couple of other projects uh, then where do you go from there how do you break into the professional scene yeah i, I came into that realization but in 2016 or 2017, I was like, man, I fucking love doing this. You know, <laughs> I want to become a professional at this. I want to make a living out of this. And so, you know, I started creating my, my own resume and portfolio and, you know, just sending those, you know, to a lot of companies. Um, I basically Googled, you know, uh, game localization companies that offered this service. And so, you know, I made a list and then started sending out my CV and my portfolio to them. And I would make a personalized email for each and every company. I wasn't just trying to make one general, hey, you know, are you guys hiring kind of email for every company out there? You know, I would go to a company's website 
and see what they were looking for in a translator. And so I would make a, a, a personalized email just for that particular company and send an email to them to show that I was really interested in working for them. And that's what I did uh, for every company that I sent emails for. Um, you know, eventually I was uh, uh, receiving replies and, you know, asking, oh, hey, you know, can you do this? Um, can you answer this uh, translation test? And maybe if you pass, you know, you get to work for us. Some of them I failed, uh, but fortunately, some others I, I passed. Um, and so in 2017, I got hired by uh, a company that was really that was really kind to me because their test, their translation test, you know, to evaluate my skills in translation, like was really fucking hard. And and I knew that I I didn't have much of a chance to pass that test, but I did it anyway. And I and they gave me a lot of time to do it. It was like a week. Seven seven full days, uh, and it was a long test as well. But I did the test, and uh, I sent I sent the test to them with the answers and everything, my translation and stuff. And um, and they said to me that 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 I didn't pass the test per se, but they were going to hire me anyway, and train me, you know, and give me the feedback that I needed. And I think the reason was because they saw potential. I think I I think somehow they saw potential, even though I wasn't like very good. I was in the right track, you know. And all the experience that I had acquired up to that point was all me. I was the one who you know studied translation and localization and you know even. Uh, getting better at writing in my own language, you know, th this was all, this was all me, you know, because I don't have a college degree. Um, I went to college, but I dropped out um, and started and started doing this, going through this journey by myself, you know, just, you know, go to YouTube, watch some videos, read about, you know, read articles about what you want to learn, uh, practice. You know, I had to learn how to use professional translation software. And so I would watch YouTube videos. I would download the software. I would, you know, do all of those things. I didn't need anyone, anybody to teach me. I, I, like I said, you know, I don't have a college degree. I did a few um, translation courses, but they were like very basic. I didn't learn a lot doing them. It was just so I could have something on my CV, you know, on my mm -hmm. resume. But anyway, going back to topic. And so, you know, this was all me. And they saw potential and they hired me. And so, you know, I started doing translations for them and they would give me the feedback after that. You know, they review my work and give me feedback. And that feedback was like, was really important to me. I didn't say, I didn't take all, any of that feedback uh, personally. I just took that feedback as a as a judgment of my work, you know, not not uh, to me as a person, you know, and that was really uh, important for my uh, development as a professional. Like in, in a few months, I already I already knew a lot of things that I needed to do in order to make a good translation, and so. And so the projects that they were sending to me were basically, you know, indie game stuff. You know, oh, translate this uh, this game store page, this these set of achievements, this uh, dialogue and stuff like that. You know, everything related to games. Most of them were indie games. But now I am working for another company. I had the opportunity to work for another one. And I started working on this one in 2018 which is the one that I'm still working for to this day. And and most of them are, you know, uh, mobile games and, and indie games as well. But still, you know, like, like I said in the beginning of my speech, you know, I plan to localize, you know, AAA titles one day. Even though I, I really love to play arena shooters and stuff, I still I still love to work work with them. 
but um, in a professional way, I want to get there and localize stuff like you know the Far Cry games and you know a, a Bethesda title and its software title, Call of Duties and Battlefields and stuff. But yeah, that's how that's how I got to where I am today. It was basically uh, I I was so driven to this world that I would do anything on my own to pursue my passion, you know, to get to where I wanted to be. It was all me, you know, I was basically, you know, self, uh, had this self-learning kind of mindset. Yeah. Autodidact. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it worked wonders for me. And I'm not saying that everyone should go this way. I mean, it works. And it's fucking awesome to learn things at your own pace. But if you really want to, you know, be in a classroom and everything, I mean, go ahead, man. I'm just saying that if you want to be a video game localizer, you don't need to go to college. I mean, and the reason that I dropped out was because uh, I wasn't learning anything that uh, back then on college, and uh, and their methodologies are really bad, in my opinion, to make students learn things. And so I just, I was like, you know, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I'm, and, you know, I just did. My parents, yeah. I mean, um, my dad wasn't happy about that in the beginning. My mom was totally, my mom always supported me all the way through. My dad wasn't happy about that. But my mom, you know, put some sense into my dad's head, like saying, hey, you know, he doesn't want to do this. And he can still be, he can still be successful and stuff, you know. But now he has changed his mind. I mean, he totally supports me uh, with everything that I do. He's really proud of me today because I am, uh, you know, I'm making a living out of this. I am being well paid uh, by doing what I love, you know, what makes me feel fulfilled um, in this world. So that's all that matters. What is it about, maybe was it the way you were raised or just the people you're around or what, what is it about you that makes you kind of a, a self driven person? You don't need, you know, like, cause you said like, you don't need to go to college. Like, I, I get that. And some people do, some people require discipline from outside. They require an outward sense of pressure for them to progress. And some people are driven from within. So what mm-hmm. makes you that kind of guy? That's a really good question because I, I think that's just who I am, you know, um, you know, I've, I think I know why, you know, I've always been this, uh, this lonely guy, you know, most of the time I just spent with myself, you know, you know, uh, uh, in front of the computer and, you know, playing games and and reading about games in my life. (laughs) My life is basically about games every single fucking day. And you just, you just learn how to do stuff on your own. You know, when, when, when I had problems, you know, with the computer and stuff, you know, I would just Google and, and fix it and just fix the problems by myself, you know? So I was basically very used to doing that. I mean, just, just trying to figure things out on your own. And if you don't know how to do something, just Google it and you will eventually learn. And it's just so, so satisfying to learn things this way because it's on it's basically on your own pace you don't have to follow a certain protocol or anything some bullshit like that it's it's just so natural it, it goes back to that natural way of learning things you know you basically learn things by yourself without even fucking realizing it it has to do with that too and so i don't know that's just of it's just who i am as a person and it has worked wonders for me because i can speak english um, I can talk to people from other parts of the world. I can fucking translate video games and make a living out of it. I can, you know, play games and, and understand even if they're not localized into my language. I can have access to the to content on the internet that is not available in my language. I mean, it's it just opens so many fucking doors to you if you learn a language. And even if you learn other things by yourself, I mean... It just opens so many doors to you. So yeah. th- I, that's just who I am and why I love learning things my own way. And it works wonders. 
Yeah, you've empowered yourself. And not only have you empowered yourself to have access to stuff that you otherwise wouldn't have, but you've empowered yourself to be able to provide that to other people, which is probably the most beautiful thing about what you do, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have you on the show if I didn't think it was worth, you know, noteworthy. Yeah. This is really cool stuff that you're doing. It's really, I think, important work. That's a whole market. I mean, we could talk about the humanitarian aspect of, you know, helping people enjoy stuff or making someone's day or whatever, but uh, just the market in general, like you're providing a, a, not just, you know, your goal is to hopefully work in the AAA industry one day, but the indie developers that are creating games and the revenue that they're able to then collect that otherwise they wouldn't be able to because you and the people you work with localize it to your country, which is one of the biggest markets. It actually is the biggest market in your continent, one of the biggest in the world that yeah. would go overlooked completely or they would not be able to collect on that market at all without people like you doing what you do. And that's that's not only are you making a living off of that, but other people are literally making their living because of that. Yeah. And I'm very fortunate to uh oh thanks for the kind words by the way. But <laughs> I'm very fortunate to uh to work with people that are very competent in this field and that I and I also learn from them and, and I get inspired. I have one colleague who has been doing this kind of thing since 2012. So he's been translating games for eight years, but he has been a translator since 2007. So 13 years. Mm -hmm. And um, he's a very creative guy. And I got really inspired by his work. And I think that inspiration uh, helped me to become a better translator as well. He reviewed a lot of my translations and made and made them even better than before. He would make change most of the changes, like ninety nine percent of the changes that he he makes to my work. I don't have any fucking complaints because it was they were either you know little mistakes here and there or basically oh no but this sounds better. It's not sometimes it's not that your translation was wrong. It's sometimes that it could have sound better. And then he went, and then he would go there and, and change it. And so I was like, oh, you know, yeah, this is this is way better than before. You know, I, I agree with that. I agree with most of the changes that he makes to my work. And so I got inspired by that. And, and you know, today I also work as a reviewer uh, for the company that I work uh, for the com this company that I'm working for right now. And so, um, and he also uh, agrees with most of the changes. And uh, and there and there is something else, you know, about uh, the localization world in general, is that since we have to translate stuff naturally, uh, there is a, a a side effect of that. Most people won't even realize how much work or how much creativity it requires in order to get to that level of making a translation not sound like one in the first place. And um, the side effect is most people won't just fucking notice. And I don't blame them for that. And so be because of that, uh, we don't get a lot of recognition from people outside of our field, um, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, and so what, what, I, what I try to do uh, is give people words of encouragement and congratulate them for their work and say, Hey man, you're doing a pretty good job. You know, I'm a translator just like my colleagues, but um, I think that what is really important is for people to get recognized for what they do. And, and, and I, and I can see that most of us just don't have that kind of rec recognition. And, and that's what I do. You know, when I see a good job and I see a job well done, I just contact the person directly and say, hey, you know, you did a pretty good job. I I am proud of you. And, you know, this just, it makes them so happy. You know, you, may see, you basically made their day by doing that. Um, and I, and, and yeah, that's, that's what I, what I do. It's just, it's one of those jobs that unfortunately people kind of take for granted. You know, you just expect to see, you know, subtitles where they're needed or whatever it is. And in your case, 
like it's it's something that people are only going to really pay a lot of attention to if it's bad. Like if you translate it and the translation is you know wonky and there's like oh who would ever say that? Look at these you know you call your friend over to the computer. Look at these fucking subtitles, man. This is crazy. <laughs> like, I, we've all been in that position, and when it's good. You know, it's just, there's no complaints. You don't say anything about it. Nobody's realistically, nobody's looking up like, Hey, who did the translation of this? Unless they are someone who's been exposed to the idea that that's something they should pay attention to, you know? So yeah, I think it's really important to kind of, for me, I I really wanted to shine a light on not just you, not just Brazilian Portuguese, but to the, the industry of localization across the board, not even just gaming. Like I watched uh, the movie Parasite recently, it's from a South Korean film. And the translation from that, from Korean into English is one of the more difficult transitions you could go through uh, language-wise. But as far as I could tell, I mean, absolutely outstanding job from the people who took on that project and made me really be able to like appreciate a wonderful piece of art that there's no way I would have been able to appreciate had it not been translated competently. So yeah, this is so obvious. This is such an obvious thing that I really want more people to pay attention to. You're doing a pretty good job at it too. I mean, and I totally get what you're saying. I mean, there's a lot of content out there that is not available in English. And like you said, you wouldn't have been able to understand if it wasn't translated in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, even even uh, Japanese games, you know, um, I can only imagine how hard that must be to localize, you know, Japanese games uh, into English. And you know, the thing about localization is that you adapt content, right? You you just don't translate text. Sometimes, when you, for example, when you're going to localize a Japanese game into a an English speaking audience, you're going to have to change like some uh, cutscenes, some gestures that may that may uh, look ages uh, of character. Yeah. Yeah. some ages of characters, some you know, some things here and there, so it doesn't some doesn't look or sound offensive. Yeah, you know, because because different countries have different sensitivities to that uh, type of content. You know, with Japanese, you know, if you watch a lot of anime, you would see that hey, you know, there's a lot of uh, controversial content for English speaking countries there. Sailor Moon's a great example, you know, like who's this fucker, like Hank college guy hanging out with these high school girls, you know, with a rose in his mouth. What's, what's up with this guy? Like that, yeah. that's like the most obvious thing. And still like it, the fact that it was translated, it's made, it made it so immensely popular despite that major taboo, you know? Yeah. I can, I, I can totally understand that in, in games though. Um, they still make a lot of changes to it. I know that the Final Fantasy games had a lot of changes when mm-hmm. when they were localized into English, but they still managed to do a pretty good job. I mean, even though I don't speak Japanese, I can see when a game was translated really well. And yeah. um, you know, for example, Final Fantasy twelve, that game is just so well done. Um, not just in terms of uh, the game itself, you know, the gameplay, but also the English localization is just fucking amazing. And and even the English dubbing as well, because the game was dubbed uh, in English. And I've, uh, and I've played the game, you know, with uh, the English dub and also the original voice actors, you know, speaking Japanese. And I, and, and by the way, I love watching anime and stuff with uh, the original Japanese voice uh, actors but in this case by playing final fantasy 12 i prefer the english dubbing more you know not just by how it was translated but also the acting in my opinion was better than the original but that's just me you know that's a very subjective uh, thing but that still you know it's you can see how much a localization can make a game even better um and a really good example here of localizations well done in our country are the dubbed versions of anime and uh, cartoons and movies and TV series and stuff like that. Because those dubbings are pure localization. Like they adapt everything that the characters say 
in a way that sounds so natural. They use our our, our idioms, our, our expressions, and our our way of talking, and it just feels so Brazilian to watch these uh, these shows. And it makes them even funnier than the original, even more fun to watch most of the time. If it's really well done, it most of, it becomes better than the original work. And so that's why you know it's it's basically really important. Uh, which unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, like you said, you know, they they take it for granted. But I really hope that more people, you know, realize that hey, you know, if it wasn't for us. You would you would have to learn English first, but now you don't have to. You can spend your time doing other things and just enjoy content in your language, because other people, you know, took the time to dig into into that world and and study and work their asses off to do that uh, adaptation for you. Well, I really appreciate the fact that you do, man. Is there anything else you wanted to kind of crack into before we get out of here? Hmm. Maybe uh, like last time, uh, give some shout outs to some people. Yeah, of course. Uh, shout them out. So basically, first, I want to give a shout out to my to my mom, who has been really supportive in my life. I wouldn't be the, the kind of person that I am today. Um, and, I, and I wouldn't be here, actually, you know, even talking to you, because I, I don't think I would have... I would be like this courageous guy and and emotionally smart guy if it wasn't for her. I wouldn't have you maybe wouldn't I born. wouldn't have I wouldn't be born. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be here. So thank you, Mom. I love you so much. And I also give a, a shout out to my um to my colleagues as well, who I, I have brief, briefly mentioned here. Um they inspire me, you know. I I have the honor to work with very dedicated people who take our jobs seriously. And so I am very proud of what we do. You know, we are, we are gamers, you know, like, like everybody else here. And we know how to do a, a really good job to localize the content into our, for our country. And, um, and I'm actually, I'm actually glad. And I'm also thankful to you for um, giving me the opportunity to, uh, make people understand why this is so important. And so, uh, yeah. Buon noite. <laughs> All right. Thank you to Malike for being part of the show and for being an amazing human being and for being part of the keep and just all that kind of shit. I want to say, uh, yeah, just a big thanks to him. Thanks to all of our supporters. You're all absolutely incredible people, and we thank you for shopping through our Amazon link or for being patrons on Patreon or whatever it is that you did. You know what you did. We love you. And also, if you would like to support the show, make sure you go check out the brand new Totally Fresh in thekeep.com to learn more. Until next time, stay in the keep.